All right. Welcome in, everybody. Laura, you know, here talking about the R. Kelly trial. Um, a lot's going on. So we're going to break down a couple different aspects of it tonight. We are going to talk. We're going to give like a brief timeline to start it out just for anybody that hasn't been following it. Um, I was a huge R. Kelly fan um, in his heyday. Uh, the two most famous songs everybody's shouting out while they're talking about the trial is I Believe I Can Fly and Remix to Ignition, which the second one happens to be one of my favorite songs. But I pretty much love so many of his songs. So it's been kind of a gross and sad reckoning as we go through this timeline. And when uh, people use the phrase where there's smoke, there's fire, I don't think there's ever been as much smoke around a situation as R. Kelly's sex abuse and weird sexual fetishes and issues and things that he's done throughout his career, evidenced by the most famous story of his marriage to Aaliyah when she was still a minor and their song, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. So that's how we start out today's video when talking about R. Kelly is, I mean, there have been warning signs, red flags, smoke, everything around this entire situation. So it's not the only thing surprising about it is that it's taken this long to culminate into a trial like this. Um, I'm just going to look up a timeline here that we have just to give you some highlights of how all this has worked throughout the years with R. Kelly. So let's see here. 92, they say his music debut. 93, um, he has a certain kind of style with songs like Bump and Grind and Your Body's Calling. Uh, 94 is when he and Aaliyah, he's 27 years old at the time. She's 15. We hear about this in the trial and it's interesting. And I'll talk a little bit about legally how they get into a story like this. As most of you probably know, Aaliyah died in a plane crash. So she is not testifying. So her story is all secondhand or circumstantial or coming from some other angle. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but 94, they get married. He's 27. She's 15. And there's talk that she was pregnant and they had to get married so she couldn't testify against him and statutory rape issues. And he was trying to force her to get an abortion. And so all that kind of comes out as potentially part of the story. Um, he gets married again in 96 and that's when his legal troubles begin. Um, let's see here. Making headlines in 2000 for sexual relationships with young girls. Most of us have seen the interview where um, the interviewer asks him, do, are you attracted to teenage girls? And he says something like define teenage girls or how old are they? And the guy's like, by definition, teenage girls are teenagers. And it's just weird questions like that. We had a case one time where one of the witnesses was asked, it was actually a defendant in a case was asked, um, did you molest your daughter? And the defendant said, define molest. So, you know, that's, not a great answer in a situation like that. Hold on one second. So, you know, whenever you have situations like that or answers like that, you can kind of intimate where their answer actually is. Because if most people were asked that question as a 30, 40, 50 year old man, are you interested in teenage girls? The answer is no. I don't care if they're 19. I don't care if they're 13. I'm not interested. No, thank you. For him, it wasn't the case. Somebody asked, do you molest your daughter? For most people, the answer is no, very quickly. Not define molest, right? So that's just kind of an indication as to how he felt about this situation. 
Um, so January of 2001, a tape emerges of him having intercourse with a young girl. Uh, and he actually goes to trial on that for uh, production of child pornography, where they try to prove that it's his 13-year-old goddaughter in the video with him. Um, and they're unable to prove that because the goddaughter doesn't testify. Um, it's a grainy video. They can't make out who it is. And the jury ended up coming back saying, we weren't sure it was R. Kelly, although we thought it was R. Kelly, but we definitely could not prove or did not think beyond a reasonable doubt that that was the girl that the um, prosecution was trying to prove that it was her. The body wasn't shaped the same. She didn't look the same as the girl in the pictures that they showed us. We didn't hear the testimony from the girl, even though they brought witnesses that knew this girl from her family. So he ends up getting acquitted. Um, and he basically thinks that's redemption, proves he's never done anything wrong. While most of the public believe, yeah, the state may not have been able to prove it, but you're guilty, dude. And that's kind of from then, which was 2008, um, I think was that trial. He denied the allegations through the early through 2000s. He has been sued. I've met uh, civil claims against him from multiple women um, throughout his time, throughout the 2000s. He settled with many of them, including some of the women now that are victims in this criminal case, which is interesting. There are some legal aspects there. Um, but, you know, he settled out of court with them. There are non-disclosures, confidentiality agreements, money exchanged hands um, throughout the 2000s with uh, with the sexual encounters that he had legal uh, lawsuits filed against him. Uh, he's acquitted in 2008, gets divorced in 2009. Uh, people start protesting. He, you know, gets in, starts doing these interviews, trying to prove he's not a bad guy. Um, and then a lot of us saw surviving R. Kelly. We did a podcast on it. Um, and, uh, so I'm starting to see some, uh, comments come through. Um, I will get to them. I will answer it. Um, I'm just going to get through it real quick. So just as an overarching kind of theme to this, um, I don't know exactly what everybody wants to hear about this, right? So the courtroom's closed, which we'll get to. So we don't know exactly what everyone's saying. We're doing our best to figure that stuff out. So if you guys have questions specifically about the case, get them in the comments. Let me know. I'll try to get to as many of them as I can, because as always, I want to answer the questions you guys have. I'll talk about what I think is interesting and where I can add some to the legal analysis and legal angles of what's going on in court and what's going on in this case. But this timeline was just kind of open us up, get the video started, tell us where we're at with R. Kelly. Um, so we saw the Surviving R. Kelly um, documentary. I did a podcast on it. There were a lot of documentaries. There's a lot going on with the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein, a lot of other people involved. That documentary to me and what I said in the podcast is, it really wasn't the most convincing documentary. And I was surprised at that because, and the other one that comes to mind is the Jeffrey Epstein one, but because they, a lot of the people that were interviewed in that documentary, and you could tell it was a lot of a, a, a fan groupie, I want to be a singer type feel, which is really where his lawyers are digging into and trying to poke these holes. And again, I was surprised it wasn't very convincing because I feel pretty convinced in my head of what type of guy I think R. Kelly is. And maybe that's not fair. Um, and if I was a juror on the case, I don't know. I don't think I could be unbiased. I really don't. Just me personally. And I will always want to hear what you guys think. Do you think you could be unbiased in R. Kelly's case? Not a case like R. Kelly's, but specifically R. Kelly. For what you know about him, anybody that's been following him for years, like I have, was a fan of his music back in the day. 
I don't think I could be unbiased. I feel like I know what kind of guy R. Kelly is, and it would probably come in. So I would tell the lawyers I wouldn't be a good juror on this case. Um, so more allegations come out. Um, in the late 2000s, he gets arrested again. And for the last two years, he's been in federal prison. Okay. So when we talk about some of the differences in 2008, he was just charged with creating or, or possessing or disseminating child pornography. It was based on that video, right? They didn't have victims coming forward. And in all of his interviews and all of the discussion around R. Kelly, everybody kind of knows at this point that he has multiple girlfriends. They're all pretty young. They live together like sister wives types. Even some of them go on interviews. They play by his rules. They call him daddy, all this weird stuff. Like none of that should be a surprise when we talk about some of the crazy facts coming out in court that are actually being typed in black and white on public record eventually for everyone to see is just, some of it is just gross. I've seen some of it. And we'll talk through some of it. If you guys want to hear about it specifically, we can talk through some of it. But so the difference with this and this is what we're going to get to now this specific case, okay? This specific trial that started four or five days ago. He was indicted on racketeering charges. And a lot of people don't know what racketeering is. It's basically just running a criminal enterprise. And you may think, why not just charge him with rape, sexual abuse, statutory rape, battery, because there's a lot of discussion about him giving these girls herpes and knowing it. Um, so that can be a battery charge. It has been a battery charge in the past. So why not just go with one of those? Right. I mean, it seems like those would be, you know, easier things to prove, but they go with racketeering, I think, because, and you can hear throughout the testimony, they're trying to build these facts that he had rules and he had a game plan and a modus operandi or a mode of operation with how he did this stuff. He would give him a wristband, give him VIP, give him his phone number, tell him to meet him in a van, drive him to the hotel room, tell him to give him an audition. Then once they joined his clan, it's like the cult of R. Kelly, um, they would follow his rules and he wouldn't let him go to the bathroom and he wouldn't let him do this. And they had to ask permission for that. And they would be disciplined. So they're trying to create this criminal enterprise that also includes lawyers, accountants, doctors, other employees that he would pay to do things or bribe to do things. And I think that's really important when trying to build this racketeering charge. Legally speaking, when we talk about some of the evidence and what the witnesses are saying, a lot of it has to do with the, the criminal enterprise. And that is how we eventually get into Aaliyah without her having to testify. But we'll get to that as we start talking about the witnesses. Um, so while he is indicted here and there's, you know, as part of the racketeering, they do have sexual abuse. They do have battery. They do have um, statutory rape. They have all that, you know, basically piled in there, giving these people or giving these women herpes, um, kidnapping, keeping them against their will. And then they also have the man act, which is basically tra- uh, uh, bringing people across state lines for prostitution or for sexual favors, which they're building in. And to me, some of this seems complex legally versus just battery, kidnapping, whatever it may be, forcing them to stay against their will, punishing them, abuse, you know, things like that, battery. Um, but I understand why they're doing it because I think they're, this allows them, and we've talked in other cases about Williams Roller, similar fact evidence, and especially uh, Bill Cosby. We talked about him, how they were able to get into some of those other women that have similar complaints, and that's when he got convicted when they were able to bring all those other stories, because that's really impactful to a jury when it's not just one woman saying this stuff, but it's a group of women who are all telling the same story. So with the racketeering charges, 
they're able to bring six Jane Doe victims to explain what R. Kelly did and to be able to build and just pile on one after one after one. So if one's not so believable and you say, oh, he made you call him daddy or whatever, it's like, ah, I don't know. But then when the next one comes and has the same story and the next one and the next one and the next one, it's a lot harder to dismiss as a jerk. So I think that's why they're bringing these racketeering charges versus some simple charges because they're able to throw so much more against the wall. We'll pause here for a second just to say, even if he's acquitted here, he still has other pending criminal charges in other states like Illinois, where his other charges, I believe, are more possession of of child pornography, um, because we'll get to how he gets that child pornography, and more battery charges and sexual battery charges and sexual misconduct in other states. So this isn't the last run for the criminal troubles coming R. Kelly's way. So just keep that in mind, no matter what happens and what the verdict is. So let's get into it here. So we talked about why um, they're charging him like this specifically. Let's talk a little bit about what the witnesses are saying, okay? And this is some graphic content. Um, I'll try to be as edited as I can. But they basically had the women come up there and we'll, we'll focus on the victims first. And there's some other fact witnesses, but they've had the women come up and basically explain how he sucked them in. Um, a lot of them, it seems, especially when the defense is crossing them, they were fans, they were aspiring singers, aspiring stars. And that's kind of how the connection was made. Right. So a lot of them would tell him they were 18, even though they weren't, they would meet up with him alone he would make a request for a sexual favor. They would do it. Um, a lot of times they're saying reluctantly, um, but then they would kind of stay in that web. And they said they were mentally abused and conditioned to stay there and didn't feel like they had any power to leave, which is all important aspects of this. Um, and they bring in his his you know group and his network of people that basically helped him in this conspiracy and helped him in this racketeering, helped him in this illegal enterprise that he had created to trap these women. Right. Um, So a lot of it focused on that. But I also think a lot of this testimony, if I was, I'm sure the defense lawyers did this. I haven't seen all the pretrial hearings where this would have happened. You're allowed to do what's called a motion in limine to keep certain evidence out. And one of the major arguments we make is this evidence is going to inflame the jury, which means just make them really mad. It's unfair. In our kinds of cases where it's a wrongful death or a car accident, if we have a picture of the body, you know, if they were hit in a parking lot, sometimes the defense will try to keep a picture of the body out because it's going to inflame the jury. It doesn't go to prove anything. Um, And then the other uh, famous argument is it's more prejudicial than probative, meaning it is more prejudicial, meaning harmful and not necessary than it is probative, which means likely to prove a fact that you can't prove some other way. Right? So, With a lot of this testimony, I would have been jumping up and down arguing that, right? When he starts talking about making them keep the semen on their face until it dries and calling employees in there to laugh at them. Um, When one of their punishments was rubbing feces on their face and in their mouth and doing it multiple times because they weren't into it enough. Um, Calling him daddy, getting spankings, um, uh, performing sexual favors at the drop of the hat, taking their virginity. Um, turning off their phone, agreeing not to leave, peeing in a cup, not letting them use the bathroom without permission, right? So these things were really inflammatory, in my opinion, um, 
and they were really prejudicial, and I'm not sure what they go to prove, right? So there's nothing illegal necessary about necessarily about asking a sexual partner to do those things, although we may all think they're gross. There's nothing illegal about it, right? And this is where we kind of get into the Trevor Bauer discussion, where most of this YouTube community felt like there was consent there and there wasn't illegal activity on Trevor Bauer's um, part because it was explicit. She, they agreed to do this together. Um, it happened on more than one occasion. Um, you know, she said she wanted it rougher the second time, according to what the judge said and what the judge's interpretation of her testimony was. So some of these, you know, kinky, gross, rough, you know, sexual encounters is not necessarily criminal. So if I was the defense attorney, I would object to all of this um, coming out because it does not prove that he did anything criminally. Now, if they're 15, if they're 17, sure, that's statutory rape. Absolutely bring in their ages. If he held them against their will, if he punished them physically, you know, by beating them and threatening them, sure, all that is criminal. If he bribed people, absolutely. Okay, when talking about the bribes, the big one that came out is a guy testified that was in his entourage or in his, you know, group of people that worked for him in his network, um, bribed a clerk to give Aaliyah a fake ID to go to the courthouse to get married. The fake ID wasn't good, didn't have her age on it. So what's the point? You know, that seems just kind of dumb. Fake ID didn't have her age on it. So it didn't work out. So then he's got some other friend that he paid that pulled some strings and we don't know what happened. Again, I wouldn't let him testify to that. That's speculation. If you don't know the, the, I don't know what to call these people, you know, his, one of his people, bodyguards, whatever, paid a clerk 500 bucks and then said some other guy pulled some strings, but he doesn't know what those strings were. He doesn't know what happened in the background, but he's speculating to say that the higher up guy pulled strings. They were able to get married and they did this specifically. So Aaliyah couldn't testify against R. Kelly. There's been some talk about pregnancy abortion, but there's no proof of that. And that's the weird thing is the defense lawyers are, are objecting and arguing that we can't know if Aaliyah was pregnant or not. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. She can't testify to that. And nobody is testifying to that. They're making these arguments. Um, so that's, that's you know, one of the issues I kind of have with this is they're, the judge is giving them a lot of leeway. And I believe Aaliyah is one of the Jane Doe's listed. I think that's what's happening here because they're saying Jane Doe had somebody fake her ID to get married so that he, she couldn't testify against him because she's 15 and he's 27. That's the Aaliyah story. Like, we know that. That's been in the news. We know that's the Aaliyah story, but it's Jane Doe number one or whatever number it is in this case. So when we um, continue down talking about some of the non-victims that testified, his doctor, his primary care physician for 20 plus years. Now, this guy, to me, I mean, it's just weird how this stuff happens with celebrities, right? I mean, they live a different life than the rest of us. But this guy was his primary care physician for 20 plus years. He never got paid from R. Kelly, but went to concerts and parties and dinners with him and his wife. And he was basically able to be a big shot and tell everybody, I'm, I'm R. Kelly's doctor, right? He prescribes him this medication for herpes. So he knows he has herpes back into the 90s. And he tells R. Kelly to tell all of your sexual partners you have herpes and anybody you're going to have sex with, make sure you tell them. Okay, so he's CYA. He's covering his own butt in that situation. But the defense cross-examined. He's like, you're not 100% sure he can have herpes. I'm not sure where she was going with that. I guess 
something else can show up looking like herpes and you might not be positive. He said, I'm positive. He said it three times. I said, herpes, herpes, herpes. I prescribed him that blue pill for herpes, I guess is what he said. I guess that's herpes medicine. I don't know. But he said he was positive he had herpes, right? He is no longer his doctor since 2018 or 19 or something. So I don't know what that relationship was like, but they were personal friends. There's all sorts of um, pictures of them out together, smoking cigars, uh, smoking and joking, as we say. Um, so some weird stuff with there, but yeah, he had herpes, right? And, and that's a consistency through all the victim testimony. He gave me herpes. And then when I was having herpes outbreaks, he would say, he would say things like your sexual parts are broken. They're not working. Once again, why? Why those details? Why are those details allowed to be said in front of the jury? That's horrible of him. He's a jerk. He shouldn't have said stuff like that. That's rude. That's misogynistic. I agree, but not criminal. And it absolutely is going to make the jury hate him. So I hope that these aren't appellate issues, but I'm sure I'm going to get some questions about appeals. I would consider all this appellate issue. The litany of little jabs that were allowed to be taken that are not probative in my opinion. Some are speculation and many are just to inflame the jury. And <clears throat> if I'm the defense lawyer, I'm going to say, don't these stories line up just a little too perfectly? He did the exact same thing with every single girl. Maybe it is, maybe it's true. And sometimes criminals do things like that, but these stories were eerily similar. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about the cross-examination and the defense's argument. So to nobody's surprise, um, the defense says, these are all groupies. These are all women that, you know, want to sleep their way to the top. These are women that have already <coughs> gotten money from R. Kelly. These are women that have sued him, that have settlements that are just after money, right? And that's to nobody's surprise. That's what Trevor Bauer's lawyers argued. That's what Harvey Weinstein's lawyers argued. That's what all these celebrity Me Too cases, that's what the, or that's what the lawyers argued. Um, so that's no surprise. But it is interesting to hear that some of these victims that are testifying were at his first trial in 2008 supporting him with posters and protests and standing by his side. Some of them were involved in documentaries supporting him, supporting this lifestyle that they all agree to, right? That's the stuff to me that's just so hard to try to figure out and get in someone's brain. Like, I do think people can be deceived, you know, with cults and things like this, and they can be mentally abused and not know when they're in that abusive situation. That happens a lot. And that could be what's happening here. Um, especially with minors, especially before they're 18, especially when they're, you know, easily influenced. So I think that that is all important to take into account, but I think that would be strong evidence um, to the jury that, there could be something more here if I was the defense attorney, if I'm trying to poke holes um, in this case. And that's that's pretty much what their main argument is. Um, let's see what else we have here. Yeah, they try to they say things like she was really serious about her singing career. She was taking um, classes for it. Oh, and then there was one other story that um, hold on one second. So there was one that was very serious about her seeing career. Meets him down alone in the black van. He asks him to sit on her lap and give him a kiss. And she does all that. But she still thinks she's going to an audition at his hotel. 
Okay, fair. She gets to his hotel. He asks her for certain favors before starting the audition. She does that. Um, he makes her turn her phone off. She's 17. Her parents are calling her. They can't get a hold of her, so they call 911. Cops show up. She lies and tells the cops she's 18. She, but she says, I give them my ID. They look at it. It says I'm 17. And then they look to R. Kelly as they hand me back my ID and say, hey, man, if you're ever back in town and you need security, let us know. I'm sure stuff like that happens, okay? People want to be in a celebrity circle. They want to be in the loop. They want to be part of it. That doesn't, that doesn't absolve cops that want to be involved in it, but it also doesn't absolve some women that want to be involved in it too. And I think that's what the defense lawyers are going to argue in this case, that those cops weren't alone. Everybody wanted a piece of R. Kelly, basically, when he was at the top of his game. Let's see what else I have here. Okay, and a lot of times he would record these sexual encounters, and that's big because that's where the child pornography comes in. That's where a lot of blackmail comes in. He would make them do things, write letters like my family member abused me or film them saying things that were not true that he could hold against them and blackmail them. It's never coming out against him or testifying against him or anything or everything that's happening right now, which again, goes to his plan, goes to his cover-up, goes to his criminal enterprise. I understand why all that, all those facts are coming in because those are important facts. So he made some of them delete social media, which is another thing that they are uh, pointing out. Closed courtroom. It's federal court. Um, COVID's still rampant. So they're closing the courtroom. It's also anonymous victims and anonymous jurors. We know that there are seven men and five women, I believe, on the jury. Heavier on the male side, which I would think favors the defense, I guess. I mean, I think everybody would hate a defendant in this case, but I think women would hate him even more. Maybe that's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You guys let me know. Um, so, so as we kind of go, we'll keep track of that, but they're anonymous. The victims are anonymous. Um, a lot of people are not allowed to be in the courtroom unless you're involved in the case. So a lot of this, like I said, is secondhand trying to get stuff, transcripts, hearing other people report on it and kind of put it all together of what's going on exactly in a closed courtroom. All right, let's see what else we got. Oh, yeah, really weird story about how some young male uh, person was being groomed by him and he called him nephew. And as a punishment, he made one of these women go and do sexual favors for the nephew guy. Just to, and oh, and then one of his runners, he was called, who would find the women for. And here's what's annoying about this, okay? As I hear myself explain what a runner is, find a girl to end up at R. Kelly's. Um, uh, find an R. Kelly's, sorry, I just blanked because I got a text. Um, so he's got a runner that goes and finds a girl to end up in R. Kelly's hotel room at the end of the night, okay? That's so commonplace as I hear myself say it. We've heard it with NBA players, NFL players, celebrities, all sorts of musicians, not just R. Kelly, right? So this runner is not something that is specific to R. Kelly, but what I found really interesting about this runner's testimony is he said, yeah, I've worked in the entertainment industry a long time. I've worked for other celebrities. And he was asked, explain the difference between working for R. Kelly and other celebrities. And he said, it was literally like the Twilight Zone. Everything made you uncomfortable. Everything felt weird. There were all these weird rules. 
you never, it was not like a normal situation. And unfortunately for us, it sounds like a normal situation is some girl that's at a, a concert ends up in the hotel room, a different girl, every city that they're in and whatever. And they have these people that find them and give them wristbands, give them VIPs, all that's normal. But the rules and the age of the girls and the punishments and all that stuff was like the twilight zone. So that was interesting to me with that witness as well. All right, let's see what else we got here. The trial is supposed to last about a month. All right, so I think that's most of the highlights that I wanted to hit. Um, the defense lawyer seems super competent um, and aggressive. Um, so I think they'll do a good job throughout the case. I, I'm interested to hear what evidence they put on when it comes their time um, to shine, I should say, when it's their case in chief, when the prosecution uh, rests their case. So we'll have to keep track of that and uh, and see how those go. And again, you guys let me know. I don't think I've said this yet. Subscribe to our page. Laura, you know YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, like the video. Like the video and comment. And let me know if you are interested in this story, in this case, because it takes a lot of time to go through all this stuff. And there are so many cases people ask about. So I really want to dig in and give as much analysis and, and different legal angles to the cases that people care most about and are most interested in. So if this is one of them, drop a comment on the video that you want me to keep doing this, drop your favorite emoji and like the video, because if you like it, that lets me know um, to make sure that we keep following this case and keep going on with this case. I'm going to hop over to the comments now, start answering questions here. If you guys have any questions, start posting them in the comments now, because I'm going to start going through them. All right. So, Junior, do you think that the quantity of evidence matters in this case, or is it more about quality? Great question. And prosecutors in every case talk about this. They don't want to overtry a case, which is what they say. And in civil cases, like what I do, I'm, I'm a plaintiff prosecuting a case. So we have to figure out and determine what are going to be the strongest arguments? What's going to hit the jury the hardest? We don't want to bore them. We don't want to overload them with things that don't matter. In my opinion, they went with quantity over quality in this case. And I would venture to guess, if any of you have watched the documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, it was disgusting. It was gross. But there were some issues with some of the testimony and some of the statements. So instead of relying on just one or two of those, I think they decided to go with quantity and pile on as much as they could. And I think it's working. I don't think anybody in that courtroom, I don't know if they're going to prove the charge of racketeering by the letter of the law, but I don't think any of those jurors are going to feel comfortable letting R. Kelly walk out of there a free man. So Priscilla Pye, um, we don't know. I mean, I don't think there's any way that we can know that. And that's the point. She's not here to testify. All these settlements are why he's broke from Babic. I mean, there apparently there were a lot of civil settlements and bribes throughout this, um, throughout this man's life. So Alana Johnson, if someone signs an NDA, I assume the court can still compel them to testify, but how does all that play out? So there are a lot of different states handle this different ways. Some states um, say that you cannot waive the ability to, um, uh, I don't want to say whistleblow, but to, um, to explain criminal activity. So if you're going to give criminal, um, testimony, uh, if you're going to, gosh, why am I, why am I blanking here? It's late, late for me, nine o'clock. Um, if, if you're going to uncover a crime and if you're going to tell facts about a crime, 
sometimes you can get around some NDAs, number one. Number two, if the federal government subpoenas you and says you are going to sit here and tell the truth, the whole truth, I don't care what you've signed, then you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth. It doesn't matter what you sign. They can give you immunity. They can make those things unenforceable, right? So there's ways to get around NDAs. There's ways to get around confidentiality agreements. And I mean, so here's the next step. If R. Kelly were to sue them and try to get his money back, he could try to do that. And then all the documents could come out, right? So there's more um, things that could happen here, more dominoes that could fall, but it's not likely. It's There's more likely that they're, they have legal workarounds to the NDAs or confidentiality agreements that they um, signed. Okay, all aboard. Wanting to be a singer, singer doesn't give a person the right to commit sex crimes. Agreed, obviously. But I think we're finding out that throughout the history of our country and Hollywood and famous people and celebrities, that's been part of it, right? And the Me Too movement is really uncovering a lot of that. And a lot of people felt that way, either rightfully or wrongfully, that that's how you got to the top. You know, that's why they make movies, jokes, songs, everything about it, because that's what was happening. And we're starting to learn more and more about that as the common man and woman. Starbell thinks he's guilty. All right. So Babic, I would be a biased juror, but I would be honest with the lawyers so that the trial would remain as fair as possible. I agree. And that's all you can ask for. If you're ever um, in a jury pool being selected for a trial, the lawyers are not trying to trick you. They're not trying to pick on you. They're really just trying to find out if you're the right juror for the case. And me and Babic would not be the right juror for an R. Kelly case. Vicky agrees. She could not be unbiased because he's sick. Septina, Peter, you're very honest because I would have said what I needed to say to have been a member of this jury. Understandable, and that's a lawyer's worst nightmare and worst fear, right? We're trying to find the right jurors, but it's hard. And people sometimes feel a stronger pull to do exactly what you're saying than to just be honest and say I'm biased. So I understand. And a lot of people feel that way. You're not on an island there. Lauren, glad you made it. I believe the defense brought up the 2008 case. Does that mean the prosecution can speak about it during the trial, specifically the original defendant testifying? Okay, uh, this is from G. Darden. Good question. And there's a couple different legal um, aspects to come at this one. So I'm going to talk for a second. I don't know that the defense brought this up. I didn't see that part of it. Like I said, I haven't seen every word that's been said in this trial or throughout this process. But if the defense, what we call, opens the door, then yes, the prosecution can drive a truck through it and they can talk about that 2008 trial. Um, but another thing, all of the sworn testimony in that 2008 trial can be used as impeachment in this trial. So all the words that were said under oath in that 2008 trial can come back and be heard in this trial. Now, whether or not they can say he was charged and prosecuted and put on trial back then, the prosecutors would not be able to say things like that unless, like you said, the defense opens the door. But once the defense opens the door, yes. It can be used by both sides. You can't just use the, sh the sword and the shield, as we say, the sword of what's good for you in 2008, but the shield of to say, well, it's inadmissible. So the prosecutors can't talk about it. Can't do that. So Michelle Penn, I pray that not only Kelly, but those who assisted him uh, with these get, sorry, get these underage girls and women under duress are locked up for life, a complete degenerate to do such a thing. So. A couple good points here. Number one, 
He's looking at 10 years to life if he's convicted. Um, so he, he might get convicted and only get 10 years. We'll see. Um, and number two, some of the people that were assisting him and were in this ring with him have already pled guilty. Some of them are testifying against him to get better deals. Some of them have talked about $500,000 bribes, $500 bribes, talking to people, getting girls, doing certain things. A lot of them are being criminally prosecuted or have a plea deal in place and are going to either do prison time or have some kind of legal recourse because of what they did in assisting R. Kelly. So that is happening. And we'll see if he gets convicted, if he turns on anybody else to maybe help his sentence. But he is stomping and standing up and shouting his innocence. And he always has. If a, so, Vicky, if a girl lies about her age, can they still be held accountable? So statutory rape is a strict liability crime. OK, so and I, I guess I should just speak for my jurisdiction because that's what I know. So a girl can come in and this is this is something that is crazy. OK, we have represented people in statutory rape cases. And in some cases, there are women that are at a bar that's 21 and up with a fake ID that look every bit of 21 and go home with a guy. And then their parents find out, call the cops. And the guy is now arrested for statutory rape. It does not matter. Strict liability means it doesn't matter. You didn't have to know. So if they're 15, they're 15. It doesn't matter what their ID says. doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't matter what their face or their body is telling you. They're 15 and you are now a criminal and you are now a sex offender and you are now going to have your life ruined because of what happened. Now, I don't think you should be picking up minors. I don't think you should be hanging out with underage girls if you're an adult. I will never condone that, obviously, but I do think it's a tough situation when stuff like that happens. There should be some kind of liability maybe on the club or the bar for letting her in. Um, because if you're under the impression that everybody in here is over 21 and this person looks over 21, tells you they're over 21, but let me back up and, and come back to the R. Kelly situation. That is not what's happening here, I don't think. I think he knows these girls are underage. I think he likes them because they look underage. I think that's his thing and that's his focus which is why he's not getting the same benefit of the doubt just because they lied about their age, um, especially because most of them said, eventually we did tell him our age and he punished us by slapping us, punching us, making us do despicable things and filming it. Um, so he found out about their age and continued on, which is a big difference then. Well, they lied. It happened one night, one night stand. I didn't know. That's a different circumstance. But both, you could potentially be guilty for statutory rape. New Chris, the documentary is what brought him down. I didn't, I didn't feel that way as a community when people were talking about it and just generally that they were crucifying him or hammering him from that documentary. Epstein, I think, absolutely. Um, Tom Girardi, I think, absolutely. R. Kelly, I didn't feel that same way. And I could be wrong. My finger could be off the pulse on that one. You guys let me know. But I don't know if the documentary um, was as strong as they were thinking. This, this trial seems stronger than the documentary. I'll put it that way. Babic. She agrees it was inflammatory and people have kinks. It is what it is. Yeah, that stuff, I mean, well, it's not my thing. I don't think it's illegal and I don't think it should be brought in to make him seem even worse so the jury hates him even more. So Jeanette Jackson, R. Kelly has, oh, you're back. I remember you from some other ones. 
R. Kelly has also has always said he's a target because of his celebrity. He's a predator, and they should stick to that. I think the herpes stuff helps his claim. Women slept with him regardless. Interesting take. But one of the issues is they said they didn't know. So if they didn't know, it's technically battery. And they said they got mad about it afterwards. But you're right. They did stick around and, you know, kind of push through it. Um, he's a predator. That's interesting that you say that because that has been the prosecutor's focus. That has been their their combat to the defense. He's a celebrity. He's a target. Everybody's coming after him. They said he's not. It's not about a celebrity. It's about a predator. That's exactly what they've been saying throughout the trial. Where was her mother, Babic? Good question. The parents are referenced throughout this. How their teenagers who are in high school living in Florida getting on planes to fly and be with R. Kelly for an undisclosed amount of time. How is that happening? That is never happening to my kids. I'll tell you that right now. I don't care if it's the president of the United States that wants to fly him up to live in the White House for a month. That's not happening. But we see it happen. I mean, that's how Britney Spears got big, right? She went out away from her parents and we saw how that worked out for her. Justin Bieber, same things. These parents seem to send their kids away to try to catch that celebrity, catch that lightning in a bottle, become rich and famous. So while it may not be normal to people like us, some people may feel that way. It's worth taking the chance. If your kid can be the one in a million, that is a star. Smoking and joking is what we say around the office. I don't know. We joke with our law clerk that he better not be smoking and joking with everybody around. He better be working. So new Chris, this is a question that our society is going to have to answer. Can you be charged with rape if you have sex with a woman and then she regrets it afterwards? If you ask me, the answer is no, right? As long as it was consensual in the beginning and then, you know, regrettable afterwards, I think you know, a lot of people probably have had that experience, but I hope this answer stays no or else we are in big trouble. Uh, actually, maybe we're not in big trouble. Maybe people will stop being as risque and that'll help and make some change in the world that way. And people will be more careful um, and only have sex when they're supposed to, right? Um, that might be my TED talk for another time. Um, but Although some wives might even say that, right? Um, that was probably a bad joke. But yeah, I mean, I think this is a question that's being asked. And you have the Trevor Bauer situation, which we just did the videos on and just followed that story that, I mean, she's literally telling him that she's consenting to it. It's happened once. She wants it to happen again. And then she comes back and tries to get him arrested. And really, I mean, is I don't want to say ruining his life, but really putting a black mark on his life, on his career with these allegations that she's bringing forward and embarrassing him publicly for something they both two consenting adults agreed on. Right. So I don't know. You guys tell me what you think about this question, but I think it's a philosophical question. Legally speaking, the answer is no, unless there are a lot of other circumstances that are not in this questions, not in this question. Okay. So Jenna Jackson allegedly paid the mothers to get their daughters then yeah, the parents should be prosecuted too. That's literally child trafficking. Absolutely. So Alana, in your jurisdiction, Australia, we, we remember our Australian mate that's here with us. Um, lack of knowledge of sexual disease can affect whether there has been a valid consent. Agreed. So if R. Kelly, who knows he has herpes, has sex with somebody who does not know that he has herpes, that's battery here. So you're knowingly hurting and injuring somebody, right? So that, that's what it's considered here. But a defense to that is R. Kelly didn't know he had herpes. 
So knowledge works both ways, which is why they brought his primary care physician on to say, he's had herpes since the 90s and I've been treating him for it. And I told him to take the pill every day so he wouldn't show symptoms. Not great. Emilion thinks it's all about getting money out of this. Could, I mean, usually money is involved, right? As a Jamaican, R. Kelly is my R&B singer. I mean, dude, it sucks. Really puts a damper on all the songs I love of his. Okay, so Michelle actually says she thinks, she doesn't think he's the monster they're trying to paint. Okay, I would like to hear why. R. Kelly was sexually assaulted as a child, New Chris. I've heard some rumblings of this. I don't know if he's ever admitted it. If he has, let me know where you saw that. That would make sense. I mean, in our research, and we have some cases that deal with this, it's a common thing that people who were abused end up abusing. If we look back to the Ronnie O'Neill trial um, during his sentencing, they did say that he was abused as a child and then abused and ended up killing his children. And other people think he's creepy, he's a monster, he's a predator. Yep, a lot of people think that. New Chris, pray for him. I mean, that's that's the answer. And that's another weird thing. It's like after he was acquitted on his first trial of child porn, thank you for the 199. Um, after his first trial, uh, he was like, thank you, Jesus, praise Jesus. Jesus, you know, show uncovers the truth. And it's just like, that's exactly what he needs his prayer. Put it there. He gave it to, yeah, he gave multiple victims herpes. Yeah, that was a, that's a big point in the trial. Um, that's why they called his doctor. That's also a common theme and a common mode and things that he does. And they're trying to paint it as he does it as part of power. He does it as part of us to get them stuck there because now they're not going to have other sexual partners or they're going to be, you know, mentally trapped here and think they're not good enough, not worth it. And they can't escape. It's all part of, the, the theme of the case for the prosecution. And I think it's interesting in law school when we do mock trial, when I was on the mock trial team, they try to teach you to put a theme to the case, right? And a lot of people do themes like if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. That's what everybody tries to do. But a theme in real life is he's a predator. He has this, you know, ring of illegal activity, this illegal business and, and scheme that he's got all these people in part of his web and he does everything to control and keep it there. And the theme is that he's a predator who wants control and will mentally manipulate and trap these women, right? And he preys on young women who are impressionable. And that's more of the theme in real life than, I mean, even though the glove don't fit, you must acquit was a successful theme in real life. Not all of them can be that good and, and that, uh, that uh, nice of a jing. Okay. Let's see here. So Rita Baker, yeah, the owners of teams hire high-end escorts for their players. Yeah, I mean, stuff like this happens. Um, it's 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 like a gross joke, you know, in professional sports and celebrity. And, and then it turns into this in real life, right? A lot of people turn a blind eye and don't have a problem with it while it's happening. Oh, everybody's fine with it. Everybody's okay. These are just men. They have needs. But then when it turns around and we find out what's actually happening, it's so – it's. It's this is society though, you know. These are the things we got to work out as society because we can't really have it both ways. All right, people asking for more on this case, we will bring more on this case. 
yes, his entourage can be implicated in charges, as accomplices if he is guilty. Some of them, like I said, already have. So here's what's interesting. And, and I think that's true. That's why they don't bring the rape charges. Uh, Janet Jackson says statute of limitations on the Aaliyah stuff. So again, we're not positive that Jane, any of these Jane Doe's are Aaliyah, even though it sounds eerily similar. But this criminal enterprise, right, is different than a single time of statutory rape, right? Or bribing somebody, bribery. So those statutes may run, but when you're talking about this racketeering charge and this criminal enterprise, it gets a lot more gray and a lot more broad of what you can try to sweep into this and bring into this. And if he, if, if the prosecutors, prosecutors are trying to show this is what he does. He bribes people. He pays people off. Um, he blackmails people. He did it back then. He's doing it now. That's how they can try to get around some of this. Why aren't cameras allowed in federal court? There's a lot of federal courts that don't allow cameras and do closed courtrooms. Um, when we, we had a, a uh, national security trial um, where there was an undercover agent. They kicked the, they kicked the cameras out for that. They put a screen around him. Um, sometimes in cases where there are, there are sensitive jurors that are at one or anonymous, or in this case, like victims, they'll kick the cameras out of the courtroom. And then there's also could be some COVID issues, right? So having more cameramen, more reporters is higher chance of exposure, higher chance of spread. And with a four week trial, you don't want to take any chances. We just had, had a buddy in St. Pete that was going for a trial on Monday. He shows up only 11 potential jurors showed up, so they couldn't even pick a jury. Mistrial, they've got to do it all over again. Reprep, start all over, so it's miserable. And they're tr trying to do everything they can to keep a safe environment so they can get through this trial. They did this to Michael Jackson, all for the money, NJD. Yeah, I mean, that that's, that's the defense's theme. And this is how a lot of people think and believe this stuff happens. Like, like, and you think back to like Kobe Bryant, right? So that was, to me, felt more like somebody who wanted to have sex and then regretted it later. But it's, there is a thought process that you're alone in VIP. He invites you to his black van by himself and asks you to sit on his lap and give him a kiss and go alone to a hotel room. Like, at what point do you realize what's, that this is not an, a singing audition? You know, so I mean, I, I do think there is some some issues on both sides that this jury's going to have to grapple with. I don't think it's going to be an easy decision for them if they are unbiased and not bringing everything they think about R. Kelly. If this guy's name was John Smith, would it be the same? That's a question I think we have to ask. New Chris 024, I always save text messages, social media. I mean, I, I you got to document everything these days because you never know. You never know, and you don't want to be put in a position. That's the sad part. I I do see. I'm getting confused with other cases, Emilian, but I do semi remember something about this that his brother actually did say they were all abused. I do remember that. I think that was. I think that came out in the documentary, actually, in the Surviving R. Kelly. I think it came out in that. He's not only a predator; he's a monster. A lot of people believe Justin Durham. All aboard, thinks he is a monster. Yeah, okay, so so I've thought about when I first started a YouTube channel, trying to figure out exactly what angle I was going to go on it to have some fun, you know, use legal knowledge and try to apply it in some way. And some of the things I was thinking of was just talk about songs where 
they talk about people that are, you know, um, and I know there is a lawyer that does this now. I didn't know at the time. I, I didn't know any lawyers were on YouTube when I started doing YouTube videos. Um, but all the illegal things happening in songs when it came to like statutory rape, it was all R. Kelly. Like all R. Kelly songs where I was like, that is gross. You know, like that is a crime. So yeah, if you listen to his music, none of this should, should surprise you. Yeah, man, this, that, and that's what I'm saying. So here's, here's the, I guess they're trying to prove this is part of the illegal enterprise, right? That's inflammatory. Like as soon as you tell me a guy made a girl do that, it's really hard to get me down off that hill now. Really hard. Thank you, Rita. Hit the like button now, guys, if you haven't. Uh, subscribe to our page so you can keep following with this case and other cases. Um, I do some tester videos on cases to see if this community likes listening to them or hearing about them. And if it gets a good response, I'll do more and I'll follow up. If it doesn't, I'll move on to the next one. No harm, no foul. Yeah. So new Chris there, that's a twist that we're hearing that there actually may be some young males that were also involved. And there was a reference to nephew. Doesn't seem like he, was a sexual victim of R. Kelly, but he was being bred and he was being manipulated up through the process. So we'll, we'll keep an ear out, but it does seem like there are more curveballs and twists coming in this. I mean, I think the twilight zone is a good way. I don't know if any of you guys watched that David Koresh um, show on Netflix. It was actually Tim Riggins played David Koresh and Tim Riggins is one of my favorite TV characters of all time from Friday night lights. Um, but he played David Koresh, who was a cult leader and all these weird rules. And he ends up, saying, you know, I have to have sex with all of your wives and I have to father all of the children. And I'm getting a little tinge of that. Like this is an R. Kelly cult and he does things his way and they call him daddy and they ask him for everything and they have to say something nice about him. A lot of them testified to, and they had to stop defending their own views and their own thoughts. And they just have to agree with him and be nice to him and do what pleases him. And he was going to teach them how to please him. Really creepy stuff. So G. Darden, I don't know who you're talking about, except the one that got a deal instead of pleading the fifth. Can they recall him? I'm not sure. It's Jeanette. Jeanette with an E, okay? Sorry. I did my best. Hey, Nikki. All right. I'm going to give it about five more minutes. Um, if any more comments come through or questions come through, um, and I'll try to answer them. If not, we're getting close to an hour here. Uh, I don't know how long people usually like to listen to these lives, but, um, I'll stay on for about five more minutes, see if there's any other questions to dig into. Um, I really think that I think he's, let's talk a little bit about results. What do we think the results going to be? Do we think it's going to be guilty or not guilty from everything I've heard? If the jury's allowed to hear this stuff, I don't see how they come back with a not guilty verdict. Um, but I also see so many reasons for an appeal in this case, um, more than some of the other ones we've talked about, like Ronnie O'Neill. Um, and I, I really am interested to hear exactly what happens um, uh, with the results of this case. Um, Nikki's going to watch the replay. Okay, so I'll try not to make it too long so you can get through it. 
So no, Nikki. So, so here's a good point. So she figured it was R. Kelly I was talking about the other day. So this actually isn't, this wasn't even planned. This just kind of blew up over the last couple of days. Like I said, I was a big fan of R. Kelly back in the day. So I've kind of been following this throughout the years anyways. I already watched the documentary when it came out. Um, so this wasn't really planned. I just heard people talking about it. So I decided to jump on and talk about R. Kelly. But the video coming out tomorrow is actually from the January 6th Capitol riot. Okay, so we went up to the Capitol, my dad and I. Um, we have some documents, some videos, some pictures, some things that we're going to talk about about those cases and about how different each and every one of those cases are, how they're handled differently. There's different lawyers and judges on them. And we talk a lot about that process and what's actually happening today, right? It's kind of been on the back burner and a lot of people aren't talking about it anymore, but there's a lot to talk about. And I think our video is like 40, 50 minutes tomorrow where we, it's kind of a vlog. We, we, captured a lot of our trip up to the Capitol. There was a lot we couldn't show on the tour. We talked about why we could film certain areas and not others. We talked about how different it looks than the day of January 6th, what people kind of went through and thought. So from the Capitol Police to the people that were there, really interesting stuff in my opinion. Hopefully you guys will check that out. That's going to drop tomorrow. I don't know what time. If you check out our page, I think it's listed up there. Um, so hit the reminder and subscribe if you don't already to check out that video and let me know what you think. I know people are going to be angry on, on both sides. I understand. Um, we're looking at this case legally as a lawyer should, trying to represent the best interests of the clients and people that we have that are involved. Um, but I want to hear what you think. I want to hear, don't don't hold back just because you are you subscribe to my page. I want to hear what you guys think, right? I value everybody's opinion in here, um, whether it agrees with me or not, whether it agrees with my client or not. I don't agree with my clients sometimes, right? My clients in lots of cases. Um, so I think it's important to just hear what people think and it's, and it's open, but, but try to keep it respectful as respectful as possible. Even if we disagree, even if you're in one strong on one side or the other. All right, let's see here. Guilty for sure. When you get a chance, look at the Dr. Malcolm Z, you York convicted in early 2000s. Okay. I don't know that case off the top of my head, but I will, I will try to look into it. All right, we've got some guilties coming in here from Conchetta McGreg. People are already making fun of me pronouncing these names like I know how to pronounce it. Half of them aren't even real names. Actually, more than half of them probably. Um, oh, a hung jury because there'll be one fan on the jury. Okay. All right, that's an interesting take. That is an interesting take. Jeanette Jackson. So David Pelton, the real twist is the amount of adults who have finances over anything. But we know financial corruption is what's fueling sex trafficking and law enforcement corruption. Uh, uh, as Chris Tucker says in one of the rush hours, follow the rich white man. Right. That's what he says. You got to follow the money trail. And that was going back to the casinos. And another one of my favorite movies, Chris Tucker, one of my favorite guys. But I mean, you follow the money trail in a lot of this, a lot of these situations. And whether it's the parents whether it's the people taking the bribes, whether it's the doctors or accountants or lawyers or judges or cops even that, you know, said, hey, man, if you ever need security, let us know. I mean, a lot of it has to do with finances, like you said, or just wanting to be connected to a celebrity. Thanks, Alana. Thanks for being here. Nikki, yes, we were in D.C. in June, I want to say. So I don't want to spoil that video, but they gave us only specific times we could come. 
We had to get all sorts of clearance. We had to get um, sign all sorts of confidentiality for the documents they gave us. And we're not sharing, obviously, any of the confidential documents or things that are not already public, but a lot of what our trip was, and we are able to talk about it. So we just want to kind of discuss what we have. There's a lot we can't share and a lot that you guys won't know, but you can know plenty. And you guys are very smart. And a lot of you are in, you're not your average people out there that might be jurors. You're interested in the law. You're interested in learning more about it and legal things and cases going on. So that's why I like hearing your opinion and how you look at these things. Cause you do bring your personal biases in, right? We've had, I can't remember who it is, but I've enjoyed the dialogue with her saying I'd get on that jury. He's a creep. I want to convict him. So I enjoy hearing the dialogue here and hearing everyone's opinion and diversity of thought is important to me. And I like it. Demetrius Smith. So he tried to plead the fifth. Yeah. So, so it was very weird. It was kind of a jumbled, bumbled. He said, I don't, one of the witnesses said, I don't feel right about talking about Aaliyah because she's not here. Um, multiple witnesses called by the prosecution tried to go back on their grand jury testimony and were handed that under oath transcript to read out loud in front of the jury. So the way that goes is, Peter, do you have a beard? Well, I don't know if I have a beard. I don't remember if I have a beard. And they're like, okay, look at line um, three on page two. And it says, Peter, do you have a beard? Answer, yes, I have a beard. That's what it's like. I mean, they literally just read the question and answer. Lawyers have that. That's how we prepare for trial. That's how we know. You know, it's a, a teaching, you know, a skills training. You're cross-examining a witness. You never want to ask a question you don't know the answer to. So you may think, how do you always know the answer as a lawyer? Well, We've deposed most of these witnesses or they've been under oath in hearings or grand jury or prior trials or prior depositions. We have those transcripts. We fine tune our questions so that if they lie or change their answer, we can then read the correct question and answer aloud. So the jury knows what the real answer is. Now, it's more muffled than if they would have just answered it right. Right. It's a little gray. It's a little you know, messy if they try to get impeached and go back on their answer. But we still have that transcript that they're going to read under oath. And then we can take that transcript and closing argument, put it up on the jumbotron, put it up on the machine, put it up on the iPad, display it so we could see it in black and white. This is what that answer was the first time I asked him when he was under oath in front of the grand jury. And this was his answer. I don't know why he's lying today, but this was his answer. Okay, people want to see it. Cool. Nikki, good. Join us in for that one. I'm sure we'll be doing some lives. I'll try to get Big George on um, when we talk more about the January 6th case. Ah, thank you. All right. My name. Hey, good. See, got close to a real name. And her name is real too. And I have said Jeanette. Okay. I wanted to say Janet the first time, but I did say Jeanette. I pronounced it right. Excited for the video tomorrow. We are too. Took a lot of time to put it together. Um, it's more than me just sitting there talking. There is some of that. Um, we are on the couch talking a little bit of it, but there's a lot more um, to it. We tried to make it visually pleasing. Um, we are not uh, movie makers. Um, we're not movie producers. Um, a lot of it is about the law and the legal analysis and what's going on. Thank you, NJD. Star Bell, can't wait for tomorrow. Can't wait to hear about that. I'm with you, David Pelton. Stop sex trafficking and corruption, 100%. Every time you have jury duty, they strike you. I wonder why that is. We'll have to get into that sometime. We'll have to do a live one time where we just talk about jury duty, the questions that you're asked, and why you think you got struck or why you think you got picked. I think that would be a fun discussion. If any of you guys would be interested in that, let me know in the comments, and maybe we can do a live just dedicated to that. 
Um, we can pick a good time so we can get a good group of us like tonight in here that are going to be interacting. That's my favorite part about the lives is just the interaction, getting to answer questions. It's probably boring to listen back to, um, but I don't know, Nikki, you'll have to let me know if it was as exciting listening back to as it was the real thing. Um, I love jury duty too. I don't get called enough. I've never been called. I've actually been called once. I watched the video, which my dad was on and it's funny in our courthouse here in Pinellas way back in the day when my dad was a young prosecutor, he's actually on the jury instruction video that they give to prospective jurors. Um, I didn't even make it up to the courtroom. They cut me when they saw my name in it, but I would like to um, get on a jury. I have some lawyer friends that have been on it and they learn so much to hear what the jurors talk about, but I love YouTube for that reason because I feel like I'm starting to get some of that with you all because you all are potential jurors. We're looking at the facts of some cases. We're talking through them. We're discussing how you would think about it, what you'd want to hear from the lawyers. I love hearing that. I wanted to hear a witness say this. I wanted to hear a lawyer argue that. I love that. I learned a lot. I think it's making me a better trial lawyer. Um, I had a trial a couple months ago. Absolutely used a lot of it. A lot of things I got from YouTube and a lot of things I got from you all in the comments to help me picking that jury. Um, I had multiple jurors come after me uh, after the trial, ask me for my card, telling me great job. It was a great verdict for us. So we were happy. And I owe a lot of that to YouTube because it's been fun. Um, it's been really fun interacting with everyday people, the public that are from every state, Australia, other countries, the UK. I know we have some of them. So it's fun. I mean, it's fun just getting the diversity of thought, understanding how people think, understand what's unbecoming. Um, what they think is good or bad, regardless of how it's portrayed to them. So all that's been really fun too. Um, and so we're nearing, oh, I was in the courtroom today and I'm very disappointed with our media and our government at this point. Hmm, I wonder why. Tell us more. Um, so this is interesting to me. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, yeah, the Girardi case is fascinating. My wife's gone, so I have a little bit more time tonight. I might as well. She's on a girl's night. Kids are in bed, so we'll hang out for a little bit longer. Um, the Girardi case is fascinating to me, and it hits home, and I really want to do it. I didn't know if people were going to be interested in it. I don't follow the housewives. My wife does. My partner's wife does. Um, but he's a PI lawyer. And you can see how literally it's so easy to steal clients from uh, steal money from clients. It just is something that never enters lawyers' minds, usually, I would think. You know, especially somebody that seems so rich and famous and successful. It's like, why do you have to steal money from these people that need every dollar to get skin grafts? I mean, that one hit close to home. That's why I had, had a lot of interest in it. Never been called, really want the experience. I think that's great. You guys are going to get called and you're going to know so much about it. And you're going to be the best jurors ever. And your lawyers can thank this YouTube community because we've talked through being unbiased. Make sure we stay that way. Um, and make sure we listen to the facts and make the decision not based on whether we like the lawyer, whether we like their hair, whether we like their suit, whether we like their um, whatever, the way they speak, whatever. We focus on the facts and doing what's right under the law. Every time I got called, I was eight months pregnant. That's interesting. So one of the victims was eight months pregnant today. And as horrible as it, as it sounds, excuse me, the lawyers think about that stuff. And they know that it is going to have an effect on the jury. Having a victim that is eight months pregnant testifying for hours and getting cross-examined harshly for hours is going to play in your favor if that is your witness. It's just the truth. I mean, do you guys agree? I mean, you tell me, do you agree? Because we as lawyers absolutely think it has an effect on the jury if the witness is eight months pregnant and she's a victim in a sexual crime like this. All right, let's see here. 
there's Denver's four times, four different times, eight months pregnant. That's crazy. So this is not true, David. We're going to disagree on this one. Um, they are not prepaid. They are not handpicked beforehand. I can I can guarantee you that. So appeal on what grounds? Let's talk about this for a second before we go. Um, I think that the inflammatory statements and prejudicial evidence that's being allowed that is not probative to a crime, in my opinion, is going to be a good argument for an appeal. I'm not saying that they're going to get an appeal, um, but I I do think that there is a lot going on. Like they're allowed to say these things with the feces, with the semen drying on their face. And they're trying to say that that shows it's racketeering. I don't know how that shows it's racketeering. Um, the punishments and the rules, I guess, is what they're trying to couch it under. But I think that that stuff has a serious effect on a jury and appellate courts do not like to see something that immediately is going to change a jury's mind and it's impossible to come back from. And those are the kind of statements and the inflammatory statements and prejudicial statements that don't have a lot of probative value. Those are things that get cases overturned. So we'll see. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that's one of the better arguments I've seen in some of the trials we've been following together, celebrity trials, trials in the news. Um, that could provide potential um, avenues for appeal. All right, at 9.45, I'm calling it. So we got six minutes left. Oh, you live in Denver. Okay, I get it. My sister lives in Colorado, Colorado Springs. All right, anything else here we can go through? So... The victims are kind of going through it now. Prosecutors, witnesses are going. It's supposed to be four weeks total. Um, I've heard some people say, no way, it's going to go way longer. But to me, they seem to be getting through the witnesses fine. I think four weeks is probably a good projection. Um, you can speed up a lot of things in trials, moving witnesses around for when they're available. Um, all right, let's see here. All right, I think we'll call it now. Um, thanks everybody for joining in, especially those that get in the chat. That's the most fun. Please make sure you subscribe to our page, like this video. If you like this content, so we can keep bringing you some R Kelly stuff. Um, he did get charged in other States. New Chris, I mentioned that off the top Illinois. I know there are child pornography charges, which comes into play with the fact that he films a lot of these sexual encounters and they, the victims say he does it for blackmail and to watch back. Um, so to have the blackmail against them. But that's where the child pornography charges them from because if it's a 15-year-old he's filming having sex with them, that's child pornography. Um, but he also has some sexual abuse allegations in other states where he has been charged. And whether or not he's guilty here, he could still go forward on those charges. So Minecraft, again, is saying, upset at this point to my fellow Americans, do your own research. Defense of all, Jane Doe number five today. Defense has gotten a lot of good shots in on a lot of the Jane Does. And I think, again, if you watch the surviving R. Kelly, you can see how the defense would be able to break down a lot of this. But I think the the evidence is going to be really inflammatory. So I think that's going to be hard to come back from. But I, like I said, I think the defense has been more than competent. They've been doing a great job throughout the trial. So I agree with you there. But I don't know what some of the subtleties you're inferring are with your upset with your fellow Americans. We can watch what we watch and know what we know. None of us were in the courtroom. So we're just trying to break down what we know. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. 
Uh, make sure you check out that January 6th Capital Rioter video uh, tomorrow. Let me know what you think. Don't hold back. Let me know what you think in the comments. Like that video as well if you want us to continue following that case and how we're handling it. Um, but for now, we're going to sign off today. Thanks. This was fun. This was a lot of fun. The evidence will show. That's right. Let's see what the evidence will show. All right, guys. Have a good one. Hi, I'm Peter Tragos, host of the Lawyer You Know podcast and YouTube channel. The saying goes, everyone hates lawyers until you need one. Well, I'm here when you need one to answer your questions and give you insight that you didn't know you needed. 